Welcome to the Texans! And again, Watson escapes. Over the middle, it's cut. Akins and the tight end rumbles in for the touchdown. Here's Watson now. Blockers in front. Lowers the shoulder and in. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We are talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles and we're taking a look around the AFC South this week as an, in- an interesting opposition for the Texans and they've very much been the rival in the, the last few years in the division uh, would be in the Indianapolis Colts and taking a look at the 2020 Colts. We've got Derek and Corey from the Bring the Juice Colts podcast. How you doing guys? Doing well. How about you? Yeah, thanks for having us on, man. Yeah, no, appreciate appreciate the time, guys. And this, uh, we're just saying this before we start recording. It's probably been the longest kind of off season uh, that we've had to endure. <laughs> no preseason games, and I think we're all just sort of living off training camp reports, which are all kind of very subjective and probably put <laughs> put in the uh, yeah put in the put in the media for a reason. I think <laughs> for it a really lot of does time. stink because it really does stink because Cody and I were both originally going to try to get to training camp this year before you know everything went down and you know unfortunately with everything going on only certain parts of the local media are actually allowed to come in and do what they want to do so it really does stink because we were going to have the opportunity to be part of training camp, interview some people, you know, get to do stuff like that. But, you know, we haven't really had the chance to do that. Yeah. I think it's going to be going to be strange, right? Cause you've kind of, everybody's either interviewing on zoom uh, or you've got yeah. to watch the, you've got to watch yeah. the, watch the game, watch the game from your own home. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've had a cool, a couple interviews that we've been able to do through zoom, which has been, a blessing because last year, I mean, we didn't do anything like that. So it's really been awesome, man, to, to be able to do that. And most recently talked with a couple of the wide receivers, uh, Zach Pascal and, and Reese Fountain. So super excited, man, for that. And what's to come, man? Super exciting. Yeah, I think football kind of feels like it's here. I think like you're saying of tiers yeah. of media members and only certain media members and certain tiers can actually enter the building and get tested Uh uh, and so they they can actually be kind of anywhere near any of the of the playing staff, but it seems quite an interesting uh, time in terms of your perception of the Colts' training camp and this kind of strange off season. What's been your perceptions and how have they how have they seen it gone from a Colts' point of view in terms of getting ready for the week one against the Jags? Sure, yeah. Well, it looks like overall some of these uh, new additions are panning out pretty well so far. Obviously, DeForest Buckner, Philip Rivers, both are looking good in camp. And then you got like Xavier Rhodes, some of the draft picks. Jonathan Taylor is a monster. Michael Pittman's had some nice moments. So overall, the team's looking good. Um, And we've said it before on the podcast. We feel like this Colts team is probably the most well-rounded it's been in a long, long time. So super, super excited for that. Yeah, and another great thing with what this offseason has kind of brought, uh, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard have mentioned it several times that this year with the way – uh, you mentioned it, how the offseason, it's different now, right? You have COVID going around. Everything is different. It's just guys having to do different things, sacrifice certain things, learn different ways. You have all these things going on. And Frank has always said, Coach Reich has always said, Who, whoever is the most prepared through these Zoom meetings and everything else that you take in through the offseason will be the team 
that is going to win more games as the season goes along because you're not used to, you're not going to train the same way that you did from years past. So, and he says that his that the Colts have been very mature, have been very good about what they've been doing in Zoom meetings. Uh, they've been very upbeat in their practices about trying to get more game ready. So that way in a couple weeks when they do take the field against the Jaguars, they're going to be more physically and mentally ready than the opposition. So I like what has been going on with the Colts so far. I think the big question, certainly from the outside looking in right now for the Indianapolis Colts going into the 2020 season is, you know, what form of Philip Rivers are you going to have and, and what sort of impact is he going to have on Frank Reich? And his offensive philosophy. Do you see the identity of this team changing? Um, away from you know being a ground and pound, run the ball, you know probably the best offensive line in terms of run blocking in the league. Do you think that's going to change now with in Rivers and and what's he got left? Um, I think that there are there is going to be a huge change in what we've seen. And if anyone has looked at anything that Colts media has said about what the practices have looked like for the Colts as of the last few weeks, they'll notice that. Phillip Rivers has been making a ton of throws to running backs. And every single one of our running backs is catching the ball out of the backfield. That's something that we have not seen in a long, long time. That's, I mean, Andrew Luck never got the running backs that involved the way Phillip Rivers is doing it now. Um, I think the whole philosophy of just trying to get the ball out quicker and being more diversified in the system is really showing itself through Philip Rivers and what Frank Reich can do. I think these guys, obviously they have a connection from being in San Diego, Nick Sirianni, the offensive coordinator as well with Philip Rivers and Frank Reich. So these guys all know each other. They know their tendencies, even if Philip Rivers is about, you know, 10 years older, um, they, they, they still know each other very well. And they say that his drop off, he hasn't really had much, um, he still looks like a very capable quarterback. Frank Reich said he's very uh, happy of what they've seen so far. Cody, do you have anything else to add on top of that one? No, I mean, I think that they are definitely, the passing attack is going to be, uh, it's definitely going to be a lot more prominent than it was last year. I mean, you look at the stats, the Colts were near the bottom of the league in about every passing category last year. So certainly feel like it's going to be a nice balance that they're going to be able to bring. But, you know, talking about just the running attack, I mean, the Colts have made a concerted effort this offseason to continue to improve that running game. I mean, you think they signed fullback Roosevelt Nix, um, even, even you know signing tight end Trey Burton. He's more of a willing run blocker than Eric Ebron, who obviously left in free agency. And then drafting Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that just – Frank Reich and company, they said last year they want to be top five in the league in rushing. They were not quite there last year, and so it seems like – they're continuing to double and even triple down on that this season. So I look for it to be a very, very complimentary attack both ways from the pass and the run. That's kind of where I sit with the run with both of it, really this offense in general. That's kind of where I sit. I think maybe not necessarily one of these will be in top five. I think they're going to really balance each other out well. So overall, you don't know which way the, the team can beat you. Yeah. Cause I think back to that Thursday night game, uh, the last time the two teams met and, it felt like if, if I mean, don't get me wrong, Brissett has a pretty good record against the Texans for, you know, in, uh, you know, in Indianapolis. I think he had his best ever game in the, and I think it was week seven last year in Indianapolis. And, uh, and he certainly, you know, kind of stuck it to the tech, Houston Texans as well when he was at New England. So, you know, it's almost in, in some ways <laughs> kind of glad to see the back of him because he seemed to have uh, certain players um, 
have a certain knack against certain teams. Um, and probably no more so than T.Y. Hilton. Where is his health at? And what do you think of the the wider the wider weapons that, that uh, Philip Rivers is going to have in the passing game with Pittman Jr., Paris Campbell, etc.? Do you expect these guys to make an impact? Yeah, I mean, right away, I don't know about Pittman right away because, I mean, we've looked at, I mean, historically, second-round receivers really don't make a huge, huge, huge impact. I mean, A.J. Brown last year, 1,000 yards. Normally, it takes them a little bit of time to get within this offense uh, and just offenses in general in the NFL get acclimated to that level. Um, but I, in regards to T.Y. Hilton, I mean, he seems like he's healthy. He's out there running routes. We've Derek and I, we've seen the Colts have posted different times where that Rivers to Hilton connection has worked really well. Hilton looks really good. Last year was really a weird year for him in terms of injuries because before that, he hadn't really missed very many games. And then last year, he missed more games than he played. So, you know, hoping that everything goes well there with the injury bug. I mean, the Colts have, I felt like they have just got struck with the injury bug, especially last year at the wide receiver position. They were down their top three receivers for a good chunk of the season last year. So I think the addition of Pittman, a healthy Paris Campbell, a Zach Paschal, who had a really good season last year. You saw that, obviously, in that game against the Texans. Paschal had a nice game in that first meeting. So the Colts overall, I think they have a really good uh, barrage of wide receivers with a lot of different skill sets to kind of help Rivers out. Yeah, and obviously everyone knows T.Y. Hilton uh, for Houston, and everyone knows T.Y. Hilton's name. We often have a parody of uh, reminding everyone that, you know, NRG Stadium is like uh, T.Y. Hilton's second home because he seems to have some of his best games in Houston when he plays there. Uh, I don't expect it to continue to be any different. Like he said, as long as he stays healthy, you know, like Cody said, it was a, it was a very weird year. That's the first time that T.Y. Hilton's had any kind of severe injury of any sorts, especially, you know, when he was talking about 2018, T.Y. Hilton for the last six weeks of the season was dealing with severe ankle pain, but was still playing through it regardless because he was trying to, you know, make an impact on the team. So it's good to see him still playing. Uh, the connection with Phillip Rivers has been there in camp. He has caught several touchdown passes from from uh, Phillip Rivers. So I expect it to continue over, and I like what I see in this wide receiver group. Yeah, I think Hilton's sort of grasp over the Texans, and particularly in NRG, I think was the, the game I was at when uh, it was the, the first game after Deshaun had torn his ACL in his rookie year in 17. And I think it was quite a close game. Brissette had come in uh, that year. And uh, it was a strange one because the game was kind of not a lot in it. And I think he was ruled down or he, or he was out of bounds. I think he was ruled down, but he just got up and ran a touchdown and it sort of broke the game open. Um, and even in a game like that, when it was kind of a meaningless game, both teams were not having great seasons. Um, he still managed to find a way to kind of steal the show. So <laughs> it was one of those ones. And uh, last year when you saw him kind of walk off the field and the frustration at his health, slamming his helmet on the ground, it was the first time probably in a long time that he's not been, you know, one of the main protagonists in, in, in the games. But he's, uh, yeah, he's certainly a weapon and he's still, uh, even at this stage of his career, he's still got speed to burn and stretch the field. So that'll be interesting. Do you, do you see the Colts running a different type of offense with, with Rivers or do you think it will just be a case of that, they'll call more, uh, Seriani will call more passing passing plays rather than relying on the run to move the ball? I don't think so. I think you're actually just going to see a lot more of what you saw last year, which 
uh, was talking about double tight end sets. I really think the Colts want to drive the ball down the field with the run, and they are going to absolutely hammer any defense that is not prepared to play physical all 60 minutes. If they don't, then you are going to get ran over by this team. There's a reason you bring in a tight end. You keep that offensive line in check. You're bringing in a fullback for certain situations. You drafted another running back who is one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in college football. What you want here is you want a four-headed monster in that backfield. You want them to run the ball down your throats. That's what they want to do. Now, will they get more creative with the offense in regards to passing? I absolutely think they will. Because even though Phillip Rivers isn't very, you know, isn't very athletic anymore, as if he ever was, I mean, he definitely can still mix up some throws and he understands where to look better than Jacoby Brissett does. But I think the message of this team is still clear. Just run the ball. Just run the ball all the time. And that's what this team's going to try to do. And who do you see being the feature back? Do you think Do you think uh, Taylor's going to get a fair share of carries early or will it be re- relying on Mack and, and Hines? Yeah, I mean, Matt Hines has never really been a carry type of guy. I think it'll, I think it'll be Mac early on a lot more than Taylor because obviously Taylor doesn't have the preseason, you know, to get more acclimated. He also had that fumbling issue at Wisconsin. I mean, I think Taylor will see the field a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like as the season progresses, Taylor's going to eventually continue to get more snaps. I mean, I feel like a lot of people have just completely wrote off Marlon Mack at this point, but. We saw uh, and we heard on Monday, he was tearing up that that first team defense of the Colts, which we think is going to be a pretty good unit itself. It's one of the best at stopping the run. Marlon Mack, I think he's still a top 15 running back, no doubt. Like, if he can stay healthy, which has been a big if, um, I really think that he has a chance to continue to get better. I really do. I mean, he had over 1,000 yards this last season, and it was really, really effective. And honestly, if he wasn't injured, if he didn't miss a couple games, he would have been, I think, five or four overall in rushing last year. So I guess in, in terms of your question about uh, the passing attack, though, and just this offense in general, I think you're going to see with Rivers, you, you have more of the opportunity to see more of those big plays you like you saw in 2018. The problem was Brissett just had trouble uh, trusting himself and making, you know, making those big plays like Rivers does a lot of times where you, you throw it down there to 50-50 type of ball. Jacoby Brissett's more of a you know, careful quarterback. He doesn't like to turn the ball over a lot, whereas Phillip Rivers is more of a, a gunslinger type of quarterback. So I think the offense really won't change. I just think the execution will change a lot. Yeah, I think, I mean, it seems like a good formula, I think, on paper, right? I think is if you if you can run the ball and, and you've got an experienced guy like Rivers in the building who can, you know, make the, the checks at the line and get them into the right play, and see what defenses are trying to disguise in front of it. It seems like a good formula. If there was to be anything of this offense that would concern you, um, I mean, partly, if you think, I, I saw the, the video of Rivers walking into the building, and he, I can't remember what date it was, in late July, and he says, this is my first time in, in, in the facility, on, you know, on whatever the date was. Is, is there any kind of concern in this offseason about having a new signal caller and is there any kind of other weaknesses you think potentially that could you know cause an issue for this offense so in terms of quarterback the great thing and like I give credit to Ballard and Reich for this Rivers already knew coming in before he even stepped foot in the Colts facility he already knew 85 percent of this offense I mean Reich even said it like 
he know it's pretty similar to the offense he ran when Reich was his offensive coordinator. So that that's great news for the Colts overall, honestly, because obviously the lack of being together, I think they have 11 padded practices in total before they kick off down in Jacksonville. I mean, that is huge for your quarterback room and huge for your offense. Um, in terms of weaknesses, I definitely could say, you know, obviously Rivers, if he fizzles out, has a year like last year. But also the backup offensive line could be potentially an issue. Um, you know, we have all five starters who really didn't miss much time last year. But I would say if one guy goes down, I mean, this is a really from one to five. All these guys are above average type of players to two elite best at their position. So, I mean, just the trade off from obviously offensive tackle is kind of a question mark. Some of the interior, that would be potentially a weakness for me. But really, there's not a ton, honestly. What do you think, Derek? Yeah, it, everyone's kind of had that same thing of, you know, Philip Rivers, the new guy on the block. What do you expect from him so early? Um, it probably will take a little bit of time early on for Philip Rivers to get fully acclimated to the system, but I don't anticipate it taking too long. I think that, you know, like you said, he has experience with Philip Rivers or with uh, Frank Reich, so I don't find that as much of an issue. Uh, the inexperience a little bit of the wide receiver group certainly does uh, hurt a little bit. You know, obviously you have T.Y. Hilton as the veteran and you have Zach Pascal, who's been in the league now for about uh, is going into his third year. So I get that aspect of it. But, you know, Michael Pittman and, you know, Paris Campbell, a couple guys that, you know, very rarely Pittman hasn't seen the field yet. And Paris Campbell, he missed so much time last year. You would have expected he hasn't seen the field at all either. So, you know, half your wide receiver group you really don't have any established guys out there that have any kind of experience. So it's all going to be a matter of how do they adapt to this offense? But, you know, it could be a lot worse for them. But outside of that, I don't see too many other weaknesses in this offense. Yeah, I think depth probably right is, you know, having those extra second round picks this year and picking up Pittman Jr. is a guy I really liked coming to USC, I think. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor, I think he looks certainly an, an imposing kind of back and he can run, you know, I think the Colts, fair to say, they run predominantly power. So I think he suits that. Um, do you think, of those two, do you, who do you think will have the biggest impact this year? Oh, man, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I might go Pittman just because uh, they're going to split carries, I think. I mean, I think overall, Jonathan Taylor is probably the most pro-ready out of any of these rookies right now, but... I just think that it's going to be capped a little bit by that running back by committee like the Colts like to do. Uh, so I'm probably going to go Pittman. What are your thoughts, Derek? I don't know. Um, I, I like Pittman. I just don't know. Uh, the talk we had with Jim Aiello uh, the other day kind of makes me question how much are they actually going to use Pittman. Uh, you know, there's other guys out there. I'll probably still go Pittman just because I don't know. But, I mean, who knows with these guys? It's just how are you going to split the carries? How much are they going to actually use Pittman? There's just so much uncertainty that I really don't know how to give a definitive answer to that one. Yeah, I think it's. it's it, I think it looks like a good offense on paper. And I think the, the concern, you know, from a Texans point of view is if they can run the ball effectively um, and then Rivers just gives them, you know, that extra 5%, 10%, 
in the passing game. And if you think back of all the games between these two teams in the last few years, they've all been pretty close. Um, so, you know, that and that, and just, you know, I think if you look at the Thursday night game, you know, I think that was just, you know, a couple of touchdowns and a couple of safety kind of mistakes uh, that kind of let Hopkins in for, for, uh, for a couple of touchdowns. And then, you know, there was times in the game where the Colts were driving and just couldn't quite, you know, you know, put six on the board. So that, I think that's what obviously the vision of what Philip Rivers brings. It'll be interesting to see how, you know, what he's got left. Because, I mean, there were some games where we played the Chargers in week three last year and he still looked like Philip Rivers towards the end of the year. I don't know if it's the stage of his career he's at. He just didn't look like he quite had the same juice in the arm and and kind of his decision-making. And I, I saw he talked about that recently, about having a balance between being aggressive and making kind of stupid, as he described it, stupid plays. Is that a concern, do you think, in terms of the turnovers and the sort of arm strength where he is physically at this stage? I don't I don't think it's too much of a concern for me. Um, Philip Rivers is still taking this time to get used to the tendencies and how to get through to things. He's learning the fine line between being aggressive and basically being stupid. That was his... Uh, actual quote. And, you know, it's going to take time. And with Philip Rivers being a lot more aggressive in his action towards wanting to throw the ball, I think you're going to need to anticipate some more turnovers. You know, we had that with when we're talking about Jacoby Brissett, you know, Brissett had, you know, not as many turnovers as other people would have liked, but he didn't have as many passing touchdowns as anyone would have liked because he was playing more conservative. That's not really Philip Rivers' style to play conservative. He's going to take some shots. He's going to take some dumb shots at times, but he's going to do what he thinks he can to help this team win. And if we're going to get a couple more touchdowns, but we have a few more turnovers in the end, I think I'm okay with it. Um, I was just going to say to add to add on to that, um, to what you were saying, Derek, you also got to look at the, the situation last year with the Chargers and all those injuries, no offensive line, really no running game. I mean, I think they went down 10 spots from where they were the year before. Um, and Rivers, a lot of those interceptions, a lot of those dumb plays where he had to make a play or else the Chargers weren't even going to be in contention for that game. So I think that's some, another factor into it as well um, that, that we need to consider. Yeah, I think that if you look at the line that the Chargers had last year, I think Feeney was probably their best guy and and there wasn't necessarily the depth there. So he's obviously got, you know, with you know Ryan Kelly and obviously uh, you know, you've got Costanzo coming back this year. I think it's definitely uh it's definitely going to be a step forward. I think it'll be interesting to see if the type of receivers uh he's got is it, it suits his kind of throwing motion because he's always had an interest in throwing motion and and not the most sort of atypical trajectory of the ball when he when he releases it. So yeah, I, I think it's it's the big question, isn't it? It's the, probably the, the inflection point for this, probably for the Colts' offense. I think what's interesting, if we flip on the other side of the ball, obviously didn't have a first round pick because that was traded to San Francisco for DeForest Buckner. Is he the sort of missing piece to you know to to play in the middle of that of that that four man front? Yeah, I mean he 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 certainly does help exactly what you need. I mean, you look at that three technique, which is what DeForest Buckner will play in this defense. And, I mean, that three technique was non-existent getting after the quarterback and really doing anything of interest last year to help this team. So, you know, you you go from a guy that got, you know, three and a half sacks, I think was the entire three technique, got to the quarterback last year, to a guy like DeForest Buckner who, you know, a couple years removed from double-digit sacks. And so 
he's still young. He's still very productive. He's still got to grow, which I think is huge too. But I definitely think the addition of Buckner and Reich and, and all those all those people have talked about it. With the defense the Colts run, this Tampa 2 type of defense, you have to have a really good three technique. You're going to live and die by this three technique. It's all about getting pressure, getting pressure from up the middle, and that's exactly what Buckner can bring to this defense, something they have lacked. Honestly, the Colts have lacked a three technique of this caliber for the past decade. They have not even had one. As long as I can remember, they have not had a player of this caliber. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen somebody with that kind of power and that kind of ability at the defensive tackle position for the Colts ever since I've been alive. I haven't seen one. We're always known for our defensive ends that play really well. You know, you got Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, two of the best to ever do it, but never seen a defensive tackle like DeForest Buckner, just a guy that's 6'7", 300 pounds, can rush the quarterback and stuff the hole in the middle. I mean, he's going to apply that pressure up the middle that the Colts were drastically lacking in years past, and it's going to create much more havoc for these quarterbacks in the pocket. You know, we did a pretty decent job of getting to the quarterback last year, but we did that even without uh, we did that even without pressure up the middle. So it's really nice to see what DeForest Buckner can bring, and you know, things of that nature. And that, that kind of leads me to a question I wanted to ask you because, you know, you being a Texans fan, you you kind of have some – you might have an objective opinion on this question. I was told – some one of our FTFN guys who's a Texans fan, he's a Texans ambassador, he told me that he believes that the Texans will have a top 10 offensive line this year. Now, I called him out on this. I told him that I – in no way, shape, or form think you guys are going to have a top 10 offensive line after last year being one of the worst offensive lines in football. I imagine it could get better, but I don't believe it's going to get, I don't believe it's going to be, it's going to be that drastically much better. Do you think that this offensive line for the Texans can be better than what it was? Do you think it's top 10 worthy or is this guy just crazy? I suppose it, it depends on what you mean, you know, by top ten. Um, the the playing style and the the risks that Deshaun takes will always mean that you know sacks, which is probably the most kind of over focused on stat in the game, is it will always be high. I think, and you know, and I think he'll take his fair share of hits because he's he's willing to you know wait for that long developing play to to occur and take his shot. Um, and uh, top ten, I, I don't definitely not in the run game. Um, I don't. I think you know definitely the Colts have kind of show them the way on that in terms of their ability to run the ball. In terms of the the pass protection, I think there's a chance. Yeah, I, I think there's a chance. Now that that depends on a lot of things coming together. I think firstly the development of Titus Howard at the right tackle, who you know could have played. You know, missed a number of games last year, and actually, when he went out of the out of the lineup, you know, we were relying on guys off the street to come and fill that spot, and you know, it it uh, it told and it showed in the film quite clearly. I think you know you've got Tunsil who's probably you know on his way to being you know the top two or three left tackle in the game, um, if he's not there already, um, and he you know you got to remember he came in off you know in as part of that trade less than a week before you know week one, um, so he didn't have an off season to learn the cadence. 
to understand, you know, the playbook, and he was just learning everything on the fly. So you've got so you're going to have, I think, an, an uptake in that. I think that where where it really hinges on is does Nick Martin play like an an eleven million dollar a year center? He did last year. Does he continue to do that? And and then does and then does Matt Sharpen, which I, I yeah, Brandon Thorne is probably one of the best O line guys out there. You know, he called that one of his favorite matchups last year was Matt Sharpen. Um, against Melvin Ingram in week three against the Chargers and he was so surprised at the, the quality of play that, that Max Sharpen put in there. So if you put him between those two savvy veterans, Zach Fulwin, I mean, he is what he is and I think he's a solid a solid pro in Titus Howard. You know, if, we, if, if that first five stays healthy, there's a chance in terms of pass protection um, that that certainly it gets recognised as being, you know, not in the you know the lower half of the league, which it has been for a long time. Top 10 in all categories, uh, you know, as, as, as far as stats will go, probably not. Um, I think maybe it'll take another year for those guys playing together because the, the offensive line is about continuity. And this is probably year three, isn't it, now that, you know, the Colts line is going into that and you see of, of the same five. So you see that progression year on year. So I, there's, there's definitely... An up, an up, to, an uptake in their performance. I think, and there's, there's, there's growth to be found. The, the, the amount of growth will depend big time on Sharping and Howard's jump from year one to year two, which historically is the, the biggest growth you'll see in players, and particularly the line. Because sometimes, actually, you know, players will take, you know, two to three years to, you know, three years at a minimum. Sometimes, you know, in these more difficult positions to play, um, to find their way in the league. So I don't think he's completely off, but I think that's. It's definitely uh, resting on a on a few on a few big points that will need to swing in favor of it. Gotcha. Just wanted to know about that because I I I I sat there and said he was crazy for even suggesting the idea that the Texans would be a top ten offensive line, but it's good to hear from somebody else's point of view about that. Yeah, not unfounded. I don't think I don't know unfounded, but I I think it'll be interesting to see the the matchups against you know. You know, Toure, Bangu, you know, you've got Lewis out there. And I think if Buckner can, as you said, can find pressure up the middle, and I think that's exactly why the Texans have drafted Ross Blacklock, because I think if you can have somebody who can break the pocket integrity from the inside, you know, all those guys who have flashed. I know Toure missed a, a lot of games last year, um, but all of a sudden those guys on the edge, their game starts to, then their production will start to grow if somebody's breaking the pocket from the inside. Yeah, there's also another question I wanted to ask you because I'm sure that you've probably been asked this a ton given, you know, that you're a Texans fan and we've kind of had a lot of talks about this. Uh, so DeAndre Hopkins, he's gone. So that was kind of a weird uh, situation. Uh, first day of free agency being open. Uh, that's That was a really, really, really weird day for all of us because we're trying to wrap our heads around the fact not only that DeAndre Hopkins was being traded away from the division, but also the fact that the Texans did not get a first-round draft pick for DeAndre Hopkins at all. I mean, the best they got was a second-rounder, which in and of itself is highway robbery for a guy of his caliber. What was your reaction to that trade and when it went down? Yeah, I think initial sort of when you see the compensation, I think like compensation is the one thing that you'll always be able to criticize that move on on the basis of you know if it wasn't a first round pick, you should have been you know multiple second and thirds um, at a minimum. Um, 
it, we we actually had a, a bit of a, a rule on the show that we're going to stop talking about it because it's it's been uh, it's been probably one that's been discussed so much this off season, but rightly so. And I think that to answer the question is, I, I think there was a, a counterintuitive situation which occurred. The there's a guy who's probably not the best route runner, probably not the fastest, and is asking for twenty two to twenty three million dollars a year, two years into a five year deal. All the guaranteed money, bonus signing money out front, made him the highest paid wide receiver in the league when he signed it is, you know, you know, two fifths of the way through that deal is, is no longer happy. So there was a, a situation that occurred that there was not a big trade market for a guy who teams were willing to pay that amount of money. Now I know the Ravens were involved. I know the Eagles were involved and they've all publicly been credited with pulling out of the deal and weren't willing to give up a first round pick for a guy who they were going to have to, to, to to up their contract so it's 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 quite difficult to, to lose a guy like that because he's catch radius and his technique and his ability to get off press man coverage at the line was you know probably what made him great and he was a bit of a technician but he wasn't you know but, he, but he, his game was potentially you know flawed in some ways in, in in the sense that those skills might diminish as he gets older so I think you know, and don't get me wrong. I think this comes down to relationships, and it comes down to many things in terms of in terms of that. You know, that off the field, he wasn't on the practice. He wasn't on the practice field much during the week at the stages of his career, and that was fit, that was you know deemed to be holding Watson back. You know, but and and you saw that in the in the uh, in the first half of games last year. You know, he wasn't even a top fifty receiver um, because he just didn't start games well because he hadn't practiced. So. Yeah, I mean, compensation, you can never get around the fact that the, there should have been more. And, you know, if there isn't a trade market for a, a player who potentially will have value at some point, the best option, in my view, at that point is to do nothing. But they, they felt like they wanted to move and they wanted to move on. And, and the, you know, and very much the league, if you look at the guys the 49ers have brought in, the guys the Eagles have brought in this year, it's all been based around speed. Henry Ruggs was the first pick in the draft, elite speed um, coming out of Bama. And then you also had, uh, you know, Kansas City winning it all last year with a track team on the outside. So people are trending towards speed and want to stretch the field. And I, I think O'Brien's view was, you know, there was issues with the contract, but also we've just paid tons. So we're going to have to pay Watson. That deal should be done, you know, in the next, you know, 10 days, I would think. Um, it's kind of dragged on long enough now. And I assume that will get done before the end of the season. I hope it doesn't come to a sort of franchise Dak Prescott kind of situation. But it was, it was the view, I think, of O'Brien that we wanted to have you know, wider and more quality depth in terms of the receiving core rather than having a predictability of 35%, 30% of your targets going through one player. Now, if I was to ask you a question, I was on a podcast recently, I asked the guys this, when was the last time a, a team won a Super Bowl having over 30% of their targets through one receiver? That's a good point. Um, I actually did a article uh, back a couple months ago, actually questioning the value of a wide receiver, you know, cause we often talk, we talk so much about wide receivers, right? We talk so much about them and we give them all the credit in the world for how offenses run. But I found that the value of a tight end is actually more valuable for a team in the long stretch of things than a wide receiver has. Um, just to kind of give an example as to why I believe this kind of going a little bit into your question about, you know, what kind of team wins uh, the big thing with 30% of the targets for one guy. Well, here's the thing. Cause 
in the last five Super Bowls that you can mention, you really can't name a lot of wide receivers that are big name wide receivers that really made the biggest differences in the Super Bowl, at least the ones that won it. I mean, you could say, you know, there was a couple guys like Julio Jones was in the one with the Atlanta Falcons, but the Falcons ended up losing. Uh, the Patriots have gone to the Super Bowl multiple times and have won. Julian Edelman was a big factor in one and was not a factor in the other. And, you know, you could also mention the fact that, you know, Tyreek Hill might be in there. But, you know, you have guys like George Kittle that went and Travis Kelsey, Zach Ertz, Rob Gronkowski, other guys like that, you know, big name tight ends that have helped their team win to go on and do great things. I mean, Trey Burton, the guy who we just signed, was the tight end that threw the, the Philly special in the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And now he's on our team. So, you know, it's kind of one of those things where I find the value of a tight end being much more valuable for a team success than a wide receiver going forward. Um, if, if you just want to debate that, then just look at the teams who make it further into the playoffs. How many of them actually have a big name wide receiver? The, the, the Titans didn't. The Titans really didn't. They didn't. Granted, they didn't have a great tight end either, but they, but wide receiver wise, they didn't have any. And you know, it, it can go down the spectrum a lot. So like you said, it, when it comes to wide receivers, it, they're great in the regular season, but you have to have other things to help you move the ball down the field because wide receivers, a lot of them get shut down in, in the playoffs. So you have to find other ways to win. Yeah. And I think the big probably frustration with Hopkins was he was getting pushed inside to play in the slot because he wasn't consistently getting separation on the perimeter and he wasn't open and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a top you know 10, not even 15 receiver in terms of separation. If you look at some of these more advanced stat metrics. So and I think you're right, Derek. I think in terms of, if you look at a guy, you know, like George Kittle, who's just been signed or, you know, Travis Kelsey, probably Kelsey's not as much of a blocker, but you know, somebody like Kittle who can, you know, be a big part of your running game. But then also, you know, break one up the seam for 20, 30 yards is it, it is really valuable when you're trying to be balanced and you're trying to disguise what you're going to do. I, and I think it, the, the part of it was was predictable as well. I think, you know, we, we iced the game against Kansas City to win up there with Hopkins in the slot, catching one over, you know, in a quick slant, um, sort of a quick dump off pass at Hopkins to win the game. And the Texans ran the same play, but from the opposite side against the Colts the week after, you know, and obviously Eberflus had watched the film and they snuffed it out and the ball got turned over and downs. Um, you know, and it, it seemed kind of predictable at times and it seemed easier to defend. So I think there's there's an element of unpredictability that, that they want to to put into Hop or into Watson's game rather, that, that wasn't there when, you know, that he was relied upon as a number one target and a, and a safety blanket for him. And I think, you know, you can do that with a with a tight end. But I think, you know, when you're playing against, you know, different types of coverages and it's not about a physical matchup, it's more about getting separation and scheme than actually, you know, the view was taken that we would, you know, move on from that contract because we couldn't pay him. And if you think of, you know, a question for you guys, where do you think wide receiver sits, you know, in, in the priority of positions that you're going to pay on your roster? And I think with the amount of guys that are coming at now, you know, every year is this best best draft for wide receivers since we can remember every year it's saying that now and I think you know because you think from right from the high school to college game 
you know, people are playing three, four, and five wide all the time. So the, the guys, the number of snaps these guys are taking, you know, is just creating that talent pool. You know, is becoming bigger and bigger. So I, I don't think, for me anyway, that wide receivers in the top, you know, even six or seven positions in terms of importance of building a roster when you've got depth. I don't know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree. I think. Like you said, like for whatever reason, it seems like these last couple of years, you've been like, oh, this is the best wide receiver class. No, this is the best wide receiver class. And you can find value guys anywhere. I mean, I th- I feel like, you know, a lot of people rag on like running backs, for example. I feel like receiver is, is start, sort of starting to be viewed, maybe not fully like running back, but a little bit more like you can, dra- you can find a guy a little bit later on in the draft. You don't have to draft a wide receiver in the top 10 or whatever. You can find value guys. Heck, the Titans got A.J. Brown in the second round, and he was the best rookie receiver out of anybody last year. So you can find Beg receivers for like anywhere. Beg to differ on that. He Terry was, McLaurin he was, was a test. He was up there. Terry McLaurin he was, was a second-round pick, though, too. Okay. Uh, yeah, Terry McLaurin was uh, – was he second round? Yeah, he was yeah, – no, I, yeah, I he was so. second round. He was late second round, yeah. Late second round. Yeah, he was almost a third-rounder, so Yeah. You could, yeah, I think that's right. I think teams are waking up to the fact that you can find value in guys. You know, and we we picked up uh, Isaiah Coulter late in the draft this year uh, from Rhode Island. You know, in the reports from the training camp that he's comfortably making the roster this year, and he's he's actually missed time with a neck injury. So even ahead of guys who have been there for years, so there's definitely depth to be found at that position. So yeah, I think you know, I think people like to criticize that move, and I can see from the outside looking in, but I think you've got to bear in mind that the game's changing and the, the, the level of players that are coming through the college ranks. I, mean, I, I don't know what the draft's going to be like in 2021 right enough. It could be a real lottery. I think you could probably get a, a first or second round type player in the fourth or fifth round if people aren't um, you know, going to have that final college year of film. But yeah. um, So I think the draft this upcoming year is going to be about probably volume rather than value in terms of picks. So and you know you've seen you know teams you know get move, move picks out you know like Jamal Adams and things like that so that they're, they're kind of almost you know you know very cautious of this year's draft but but um, but yeah I mean so getting back to the, the defense um in terms of that do you think you know Eberflus is sort of covered too where they run a lot of stunts up front will they be able to get enough mm-hmm. pressure to kind of to probably make up for this probably not you know Rockyson guy at Temple got in the second round the year before probably going to be your number one corner. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a battle between him and Xavier Rhodes for that number one corner, but also a guy that is not really talked about in the national media, Kenny Moore. They send him on a lot of blitzes. I mean, you you saw in that Kansas City game, playoff game, and then also, I think you guys even saw it, Kenny Moore came off the edge in that playoff game, and then he also came did the same thing in Kansas City, and then when the Colts were victorious down in Kansas City last year, Kenny Moore had a really nice blitz. So the beauty with Eberflus is he changes things up, like you said, he has – multiple guys coming all over, um, which I think is great. And I think the cool thing is the Colts have figured out ways to get pressure on the quarterback, even with a lack of pass rush, if you will, like even in 2018. I mean, they didn't have Justin Houston. They, they really didn't have a great defensive line, honestly. But they figured out ways and conjured up ways to get to the quarterback. And now with the addition of some of this more, more talented guys and some younger guys have developed a little bit more, I think the pressure is going to be there a lot more than they've seen. I really do. I think the combination of talent and just what Eberflus can do and the fact that now he has a couple years of tape on some of these guys, on some of these other teams, I mean, he, he's done a great job of adapting to some of these offenses. So I, I really am excited for this Colts defense. I think they have a lot of potential for sure. 
And do you think potentially, I mean, I think you're right in terms of Kenny Moore. I think he's probably the top two or three nickel corner in the, in the league. I think he does it. I think you're right. He's just probably not talked about enough. I, I, and I know he kind of signed a sort of kind of small and medium sized contract when he, when he, when he got up there, but he's definitely, you know, a, a guy that's, that's, uh, that's definitely not recognised in the circles that he probably should be a guy who probably came in with you know a huge amount of uh, or or a big you know a, a big first round pick and a big name out of college in Malik Cooker. They didn't take the fifth round option considering that plus mm-hmm. yeah, this year is no longer on this team. Who, in my view, from outside looking in, was probably number one corner. Is that the turnover and change of personnel in the secondary a concern? Um, you know, it obviously is a little bit because Dazir was really good a couple of years ago. I mean, you saw he shut, he really had a great game against a couple of games against Hopkins when they played. Um, but you know, he dealt with injuries and he was getting up there in age. And so I think the Colts point of view with basically trading Xavier Rhodes for Pierre Dazir is the fact that Xavier Rhodes a couple of years ago, he was an all pro corner. Now, obviously we don't know if he's going to get back to that or even get close to that, but I think the Colts were willing to take the risk of more of a higher ceiling potentially, but also the risk of potentially a lower floor as well. So overall, I, it is a concern. I think overall for me, the cornerbacks are kind of a concern for me. Really the secondary, it's just young and unproven outside of like Xavier Rhodes. So, I mean, it is a little bit of a concern for me, but overall the Colts really believe in uh, Xavier Rhodes a lot. They really think that he can offer a lot to uh, obviously on the field, but also in mentorship to some of these younger corners the Colts have. They really feel really good about it so far. So, you know, it's it's early into training camp, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that with that other guy trying to replace Pierre Desir this year. And, and in terms of, you know, I think one thing I've always found quite interesting about the Colts' defense is that, you know, probably linebacker, you know, with Darius Leonard and Walker's quite a, a strength. Uh, but but often, you know, they, they seem to, you know, have roll out dime packages uh, out there. And I don't know who the dime linebacker will be. Is it Tavon Wilson or Odom or who, who that might be? Uh, this year, but do you think can you see Uberflus sticking to those sort of you know quite heavy dime looks six, you know five or you know or even a nickel uh, with the five DBs? Do you think that's going to be something that that they'll stick with? Because I I think from from a Texans point of view, you think that the way we'll get after you know the Colts and the two games that we've got in the schedule will be you know throughout a passing attack and and, and you know in big plays and shift the momentum. Do you think he'll continue continue with that, that those sort of looks and taking those sort of linebackers off the field, or how do you see him kind of working it this year with the, the turnover, you know, in the secondary? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that he'll adapt for sure, uh, whatever the passing situations are. But I think, yeah, for overall though, the Colts have two really good linebackers in terms of coverage. Obviously, you said Darius Leonard, and then they have Bobby Okereke, who was a third round pick this last year out of Stanford. He's very, very good as well against the pass. He's kind of in that Darius Leonard mold a little bit um, in terms of very physically gifted, um, you know, very quick type of player, athletic as can be. So, I mean, overall, I think, yes, the Colts will in certain situations use more of a dime look. I definitely think so. Um, but but also, yeah, I think that they you shouldn't count out them. I mean, they, they basically created a position for Bobby Okariki to get on the field last year because they felt like he was so good. Um, so, you know, I, overall, I think, yeah, I, I think the Colts will adapt, but you're right. I mean, there is a concern, obviously, with the lack of uh, really the lack of knowns at this point with this corner room. I, I, I'm really unsure at this point for this group, honestly. Yeah, and I think when you look at the, your guys' schedule, I think to you, it certainly feels like any sort of off-season 
kind of hindrance with a lack of time with the coaches and staff. You think it feels like certainly on paper, as you said, you got the Jags week one in Minnesota, you got the Jets, Chicago Browns, and Cincinnati before the bye. That kind of feels like you've the uh, the scheduling gods have, have done you a solid there in, t- in terms of that opening to the schedule. Yeah, that schedule uh, it's pretty nice, and for whatever reason. I- if we can start, if the Colts can start out in Jacksonville with a win, man, I'll consider that. I don't care what the score is. I don't care how bad Jacksonville is. We cannot beat them in Jacksonville. So I'm really hoping, man, that, that we this year just smoke them in Jacksonville just to help us out, please. I mean, the last couple of years have been completely ugly in Jacksonville. I mean, I don't think the Colts have won in four or five years down there in Jacksonville. I don't know what it is. I think it's is. been longer than that, hasn't it? Was it 2014 or 2016 the last time? I think it was 2014 the last time. Oh, wow. So it's been six years. Wow. Yeah. And and he's right. I mean, the sad part is no matter how trash they might be, because we know they're tanking, it doesn't matter. We we cannot just bow down to these guys. We have to play 100% the best football we got because – we never win in Jacksonville. I don't understand why. I don't get it, but we never win there. I just simply don't get it, and it angers me, and that's why I'm a little hesitant to say we win this game because it's just bad luck. I think you see teams just seem to have some kind of stretch, you know, that places that they don't win. I think the Texans had that in, in Lucas Oil for the longest time. So, yeah, I think it does happen. I, I think the Jags, Jags will be a bit of a different a different proposition this year than they have been. I don't. Th- I think they've kind of got away from some of the identity they've got. But if you think of, of that opening, you know, realistically, you think four or five wins, even pre-Rivers and pre, you know, of potential offensive improvement would have been possible anyway. And then in terms of, in terms of how the schedule opens up at the back end, obviously you've got Detroit, Baltimore, Tennessee, Green Bay, Tennessee, Houston, trip to Vegas, then the Texans again before you finish up with Pittsburgh and and. And then Jacksonville, you know, your bookend and your schedule. You, you've not got many games in the division, obviously, pre buy. Um, in terms of that post buy run, you know, go, going to Baltimore, Tennessee, Green Bay, and then Houston. Do you think that's that's the stretch that's potentially going to define the, the cold season? Yeah, it definitely will because, you know, you got that good stretch of games where it's a lot of your divisional games and, you know, unfortunately, towards the end of the year, that's where a lot of the games will be. So I don't even mind if the Colts struggle early. It's all about finishing the season strong, kind of like what we did in 2018, where, you know, we won nine of the last 10. If we can do that, then, you know, we'll be put into a very good situation for when the playoffs come around. And then we'll obviously lead the division when it comes to record wise. But, yeah, it, it, it is very critical because, you know, division games mattered uh, a lot this year, and it's going to be very pivotal that we have our best football at, at that time of the year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, especially with the AFC seeding, how that's going to play out, and also just kind of a measuring stick to how some of these – you know, stack up against some of these teams. I think that's going to be big, especially if you're in playoff contention and, you, you know, maybe you don't beat Baltimore, but maybe you're down to the wire with them. Then you're like – we have a chance. We feel like we can compete with the best in the AFC. I think that's a good barometer for where you're going to be at as well. Yeah, obviously, we, you know, the Texans and and then there's going to play two and three weeks. I think that's probably, you know, depending on how the two teams get, get or what the record's shaping up like before they get into the, that three-game stretch. The Texans actually go to 
go uh, out east to Chicago and come back that week in between. Um, in terms in terms of those in terms of those two games, I think that's going to be going to be something that probably both teams will be you know want to have their best best football in front of them at that point. But it certainly looks like that you know basically if you look at the Texans opening games. Uh, when we start with Kansas City, Baltimore, uh, Pittsburgh, it's not not the easiest stretch uh, by any means. So certainly, in terms of how the how the how the, how the schedule is shaping up, I, I certainly think that gives the advantage to the Colts, particularly allowing them maybe stack up some wins early and then take that momentum. Then talking about momentum in terms of that 2018 season when it all kind of came together for the Colts in a way that hadn't done, you know, right at the, the start of the season. What what do you think drove that? Because momentum is such a big thing in terms of getting hot at the end of the season and that's what every team aspires to do what do you think was the the key things that, that drove that and then what do you what do you think you know do you think that relates to this this 2020 team as well yeah so the big things for me were the running game emerging I think that was huge and that's what the Colts ever since then have been really wanting to be a running team I mean when Marlon Mack he was injured to start that year I think that was a big deal and a bigger deal than we thought initially um, but I think Marlon Mack when he came back I mean, the Colts were really, really good. They were one of the top teams in terms of rushing the football. And then also, you got to think of the injuries. I mean, you're missing your your left tackle for a few games. One of the best left tackles in the league at Costanzo. And, yeah, there, there was just a bunch of different factors. But those were a couple of mine. Derek, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Uh, n- not really. I mean, it really is the same that, you know, the momentum is going to be something that's very pivotal. This year might be a little different with the fact that, you know, there's not going to be many fans in the stands this year for a lot of it. Momentum's going to be different in how you approach that, how you're going to get out of slumps and everything. But yeah, momentum this year, more important than any other time with, you know, having that home environment uh, different than it has been in a long, long time. And how much of a disadvantage do you think not having, or potentially not having zero kind of, fans in in Lucas Oil is going to be because I think from my perception the only time I've been there was that they had the the one of the back of the uh, the end zones that was open so it probably wasn't as loud as it would have been if, if the whole thing was closed um, but it's certainly been from my perception particularly the Peyton Manning era that you know everybody knew when to make noise and, and when and when to keep quiet when the offense was on the field it always felt like there was an advantage to the Colts playing at home do you, do you see that having a material impact on the on those eight home games this year? Well, as somebody that's played football and as somebody who has, you know, taken the time to uh, understand how important the home field advantage feels, I can't say for absolute disparity what having no fans in the stands looks like. Um, I, I really don't in regards to that form, but I can tell you that the difference between a home crowd and an away crowd, certainly you feel the different vibe. You feel a different energy. You, you thrive off that energy. You're looking for something from them to give you that juice and to not have that at all this year for the majority of these clubs, it's, it's going to suck. It has to players will tell you, it's it's amazing to have fans in the stands because you feed off that energy, and now you're not going to have that energy to really go off of. So, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, it, it I do believe that it could impact performance a little bit because the players have been saying that. Well, who knows how much it's actually going to do that for? Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, Lucas Oil's never like 
super, super loud, but yeah, it definitely will impact things. I think it's good that the Colts have already been in Lucas Oil Stadium. They had a kind of a live rep type of practice on Monday, and I think that'll be good for them, kind of getting acclimated a little bit to what it's going to look like to play football because that was pretty much a game simulation type of thing. So I think that'll serve them well. But, yeah, it's just going to be a weird year, man, in terms of no crowd, no fans. I mean, there's going to be, like, some automated, simulated, whatever noise that they're going to crank in. But it's just going to be different. It really is. It's going to be a weird year. And considering that weird year, all things being equal, what are your expectations for this Colts team? What do you think? Where's the ceiling and where's the floor? Cody, you go ahead and start with that one. All righty. I was thinking there. Um, so I always said 11 and 5 was kind of where I thought they were going to be. I definitely think the ceiling could be 12 or 13, maybe. That could be the ceiling, ceiling. And I probably think the floor is probably eight or nine wins, honestly. The floor, the absolute worst they could go because you improve a lot of areas. You were 7 and 9 last year. There was a lot of close competitive games that you lost, but there were also some competitive games that you won. So overall, I think, yeah, that, that's kind of where I stand. Derek, do you kind of agree or, or where are you at on that? Yeah, I, I agree with the floor and the ceiling. I've said 10 and 6 this whole time. Uh, so, yeah, I would agree. Eight eight wins is the floor, um, and 12 wins would definitely be my high when it comes to the amount of wins that they could achieve this season. It feels like the AFC South has got a chance to have at least multiple, at least multiple teams uh, and the playoffs, considering that you've got that extra spot this year. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You got that extra spot. Um, a lot of things, a lot of things can go weird for a lot of teams. And you're right. I mean, there it, it feels like a three-headed monster right now when it comes to the AFC South. I mean, the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans all have legitimate chances to make the playoffs and it's funny we're just leaving Jacksonville out of there, but of course they did that to themselves. So it's uh, it's right. I, I think that the <laughs> the AFC South could legitimately have three teams that could, you know, potentially that could potentially make the playoffs. So hopefully that's what happens because you know I'd like to see I'd like to actually see that. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I don't know what your perception of the Titans are. I think it seemed like they got good matchups, and um, you know, and it hadn't been for some shaky field goal kick, and you know, they might have you know had a better record than they did last year early. But I feel like they got some good matchups. So I think definitely, you know, the division is wide open, uh, but it's it's all all to play for uh, as we get into twenty twenty, which could be a really kind of strange year like no other. And I think health is going to be a factor beyond what it's ever played into into the variables before. And it's going to be an interesting uh, watch, see how this AFC pans out. And it's going to all kind of really work itself out with those late games, late games that are all kind of stacked up in the schedule that they often seem to do now. No, you're good. I, uh, yeah, I mean, the Titans certainly have a, a good collection of matchups that, you know, they have favorable, obviously their running back, Derek Henry, a very good running back, has really found his groove over the last year. Uh, no question about that. And, you know, the, it, Ryan Tannehill kind of solidifies the position. They have a decent amount of wide receivers, even though I feel like A.J. Brown's just mainly the one and only guy. Uh, their linebacker group, really good. They got a solid defensive line. Their secondary still pretty solid, even though it's not over the top. 
Um, so yeah, they got a, they got a solid defense and a solid offense. It's again, another team that, you know, can make some noise if you let them and they're well coached by Mike Vrabel. So I I'm impressed to see where the Titans have gone so far. Yeah, I was going to add, they're really well coached. Mike Vrabel is one of the best coaches in the league. I definitely agree with you, Derek. Uh, yeah, the Titans are definitely, I feel like, uh, potentially the, can, they have to be right. The, the favorites right now for the AFC South, they went the furthest, but, um, yeah, they're, they're just really overall a solid team from one to 53. I mean, they've got a really solid, you know, off, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, uh, decent secondary, you know, we know Ryan Tannehill, they, we know Derek Henry, obviously. Um, so overall, I feel like there's not like a huge weak spot for them. Like they're just a really overall solid, solid team. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's probably the closest the, the division's been in the last number of years where you've got three teams and, you know, divisional games are often tight. There isn't, you know, they're often split. And I think what will come down to perhaps will be the you know, reasonably equal divisional record between the, the, those three teams. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they how they get in the, the outer, the other divisional games to, to kind of shape their schedule. So it's going to, I think it's the salt to play for and it's, probably the least predictable it's been in a number of years. And I think it's, it's certainly been, uh, it's certainly they're all there to play for. We're just over one year uh, after the fact. And have you guys got, and it was a, a Houston guy, always had a lot of time from, you know, the, the true sportsman in every sense. Um, you know, that was always picked up in his clips. But Andrew Luck retiring, is there any kind of, any kind of thoughts on that one, you, you know, just over a year on there? I try not to think about it. Try not to think about it. It it hurts my it hurts my heart. Anyone that knows that what my anyone wants to go back a year from now and look at my Twitter feed, just just look at it. There's there there's some feed on there that I think my haters would probably really like about me. But I I my emotions were so bad that day. It it's it killed me a part of me inside. Man, I know I. Oh, it just hurts to say it, you know, it hurts to even think about it. It's just, man, this is a wild, wild thing that happened. Something you'd never expect. Like I, I've seen so many people say that's the craziest thing I've ever seen in sports. Like, and I, and people who've been working in the industry for years and years, I just, I know I, I still refuse to believe that he's retired. Like, it's just that shocking. Like just no indication at all. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, two weeks before the year, before the season starts, he's just done. I mean, I can't even comprehend that. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. I always go back to 2016. I saw him in NRG, and I just thought that night he he didn't look right, and you know he was you could tell he was playing through things. Um, and then you know 2018, you know he looked like back to his best. So I think that was that was probably where the shock came in because it looked like he'd overcome the injuries rather than you know be continually hindered by them. But you know, a great guy and a great professional and I don't think we'll probably see many more guys coming out of college like that as a pure pocket passer and a kind of polished pro you know from day one yeah he was a generational player man that's why it was so tough yeah Ugh. he definitely was man he like I think for me it's just like we don't appreciate him enough until he's gone like I think that's just how it was. Like we loved Andrew Luck, but like if you would have told me 2018 that Kansas City game would have been the last game I ever watched of Andrew Luck throwing, like actually playing in a game, 
man, I would have relished every moment of it. Like that's just hindsight's twenty twenty, but wow, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I think it's something that's probably altered the dynamic of the division, and it's probably altered the franchise in many ways. And and do you, do you see Rivers carrying on after this year? I know he's sort of taken on a high school position as a, as that as the head coach in a year's time. Do you think he'll be there for twenty twenty one? I mean, I think that's the hope that he continued to play two years. I think that's what Rivers has said. Like he wants to play two more years. And so I think it all depends really on how does he perform this year, right? Does he have a year like he had last year or does he have a 2018 type of year? If he has a 2018 type of year, then, you know, I think the Colts will re-sign him. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, for me, it it really is um, depending on how he plays. I think he feels like he can play a couple more years. It just... It's two to be determined right now if that's with the Colts or not. Yeah, excellent. No, okay, well, thanks very much for your time, guys. It's been great to talk uh, talk some Indianapolis Colts and, and, and get to speed to where they are in this kind of strange offseason. Um, the two teams will meet, as we said, twice in three weeks in week 13 and 15. So we'll look forward to those games. And I think, as we said, it'll shape the schedule. So just want to say a thanks to Derek and Corey from the Bring the Juice Colts podcast. You can follow them on Twitter at BGTPod. Um, and if you want to catch up with what's going on behind enemy lines, I suggest you go and check those guys out. Guys, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having us on, man. Always great to talk about Yeah, for sure. We'll have to, we'll have to do a collab podcast or something before the, the Colts go to Texas.